Hi, this is Chase Masterson, and you're listening to PriorityOnePodcast.com. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by Sayulita.com. For more information, visit Sayulita.com and by listeners like you. Visit PriorityOnePodcast.com for more information on how you can continue to support our network. Command codes verified. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Captains, you're listening to episode 126 of Priority One Podcast, the premier Star Trek online podcast, recorded Thursday on May 2nd, 2013, live on trekradio.net and available for download on PriorityOnePodcast.com the following Monday. I'm Tony. I'm Elijah. What do we have this week, Elijah? All right. Well, this week we trek out philosophy and beer. In Stone News, we continue to gear up for Legacy of Romulus with several Legacy of Romulus blogs, including number 10, 11, 12, and 13. We'll also review our picks from April's Ask Cryptic. And in Field Notes this week, we teach you some new skills in PvP combat from our friends over at the PvP Bootcamp. As always, towards the end of the show, we'll open hailing frequencies and review your incoming messages. Well, did everybody enjoy their weekend treat? Wait, 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 wait. You didn't know about the treat? Well, maybe if you subscribed to our RSS feed or followed us on Facebook or Twitter, you would have known about the treat. On Friday, May 3rd, we published our interview with STO lead designer Al Captain Gecko slash Titanium Ass Rivera. And we talk ships, we talk Klingons, we talk Romulans, it's all there. Don't miss out on your treats ever again, guys and gals. Make sure you're subscribed to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com and don't miss a show again. If you follow us on Twitter and Facebook, or if you listened to episode 125 of Priority One Podcast, you got to experience what our reporting would be like from a live Star Trek event. So last week, Leah, Adrienne, and I worked tirelessly to bring the big screen experience of Fathom Events Best of Both Worlds premiere right to your fingertips. Then I shifted into Mandroid mode and and covered (laughs) the entire Star Trek convention at Cherry Hill, New Jersey, all throughout the weekend. We got pictures. We've got patron interviews. We got up-to-the-minute tweets as special guests spilled the beans on their plans for Trek. We also got Chase Masterson. Oh, squee like a fanboy there, Mr. Elijah. Go on, go on. Do it for everyone. (laughs) (laughs) That was good. That was good squeeing right there. Captains, the Star Trek Las Vegas event is just four months away, and we're already gearing up for the big to-do. This year, we're teaming up with Trek Radio and Stoked Radio to bring you Vegas like never before on the bridge of the Enterprise. Unfortunately, such an endeavor, as you may understand, is not cheap. 
Priority One needs your help to raise funds that will help cover the cost of broadcasting from the convention halls during the 2013 Star Trek Las Vegas convention. We'll have a live broadcast just as we did last year. We'll stream videos. We'll do interviews. We'll bring you up to the second coverage of this year's convention, just like Elijah did when he was squeeing all over the floor at Cherry Hill. Our goal is $700, and we need your help to get there. This can be done. You've purchased coffee that's more expensive than that. Everyone can chip in a buck. We bring you 50-plus broadcasts a year, great columns from Star Trek Online community members, but we still need your help to bring you more material from the convention itself. We want to give a special thanks to those of you who have already donated to this little endeavor. Thank you so very much. Please visit our website and click on the big orange Donate button on the left side of the page. You'll be taken to the secure PayPal website to submit your donation. Again, this fund is to help cover the costs of broadcasting from the convention hall. This money is not for our own personal gain, and it will not cover travel, lodging, food, or activities. Help us bring the convention straight to your computer or smartphone by donating. Our goal, once again, in case you didn't hear it the first four times we told you, is $700, and with your help, we can get there. How sexy was that? That intro from Chase Masterson was epic. Oh. She said it so like, oh. you're listening to PriorityOnePodcast.com. Yes. It was good. It was, it was awesome. Until it was we, fantastic. We're going to do that every week. She totally delivered that perfectly. Yeah, we're going to do it every she week. She delivered it perfectly. She's pro. She did that so well. But it took her, you know what was funny, is that it took her three takes to do it. But she was like, no. priority, uh, what is it? I'm like, look at my shirt. Look at my shirt. It's on my shirt. You can look at my. Uh, look at me. But then again. Look at me, I Chase think, Masterson. It's written all over me. I think <laughs> I think that she did it on purpose because I totally messed up her name. I think she did it on purpose because I totally messed a up her revenge. name. A subtle revenge. Uh, yeah. So she's like, it's going to take me like four times to skip priority on podcast.com because you said Chase Masterson. I totally fumbled that. But anywho, anyway, <laughs> we rely on donations from our community and hopefully we can get more of those types of plugs. We mention it every week, but we are looking for talented individuals to help grow the Priority One team. Whether it's in audio, whether it's in video, community management, writing, you name it. This organization is built by volunteers, and we could use more talent to help grow our little organization. As we mentioned earlier, you can listen to us live on trekradio.net every Thursday at 5.30 Pacific, 8.30 Eastern. You can chat live with us in-game, or you can visit trekradio.net and jump on their IRC chat client, which can be found under the community link. That is right. Well, before we move on with the show, we want to remind you that PriorityOnePodcast.com offers more than just podcasts. We've got great articles and blogs from some of the most respected members of the community, including our latest dilithium tracker from Sam on Maui and a personal review and recap of Best of Both Worlds New York City screening by our very own Leah Cornish, our co-host over at Trek It Out podcast. It's a phenomenal article. I encourage you to check it out. Very well written. She articulates the exact feeling of the environment so well. Leah's a great writer, and she's actually also a writer for LeakyNews.com, so be sure to check out her stuff over there. Well, let's get ready to Trek It Out. I don't know. Then let's Trek It Out. Well, it's happened again. Real-world problems are looking to Star Trek for solutions. But this time, it's not Treknology like holodecks and tricorders. This time, it's the Prime Directive providing inspiration. That's right. Foreign policy wonks are asking, what would Jim Kirk do about that messy civil war in Syria? 
Now, seriously, a professor at the U.S. Naval Postgraduate School and a writer for the Military Times wax philosophical about whether or not our favorite serial prime directive violator might do, you know, overload al-Hassad regime's uh, main computer or arm the Syrian rebels with modern muskets for self-defense. Well, we'll have links in the show notes, but I think the consensus was that old JTK would throw down on behalf of the freedom fighters and the rebels out there. But we need to finish this out. I mean, they only talked about Captain Kirk. So, Elijah, what we need to do is we need to see if the majority of Trek captains would do. So we've got one for jumping in on it, and that's Kirk. So we got to cover Picard, Cisco, Janeway, and Archer. Are they going to violate the prime directive and get involved here? Picard would be very talky-talky. But the thing about it is, as anything he says is very rich, and everybody would listen. Or fall asleep and stop fighting. So the vote is Picard is not going to get involved. He's not going to. Probably he's not, not. going to send crates of guns. Okay. All right. All right. So the so next six, Cisco. Cisco. If Cisco would punch Q in the face, I have a feeling he'd go in there guns blazing. Got to agree. I got to agree. I think Cisco. Yeah, he definitely say that this isn't right. The prophets have spoken, and we're going in there. All right. Okay. So then, uh, Janeway. Let's do it, Janeway. I don't know. I don't know. I'll give Janeway to you. She's not my favorite. I have to say that. But she is hard-headed about doing the sort of right thing, even when no one's looking. So I'm gonna say that no. I think she doesn't. She stays out of it. Right now we're two and two, which leaves Archer the tiebreaker. So what do we think, old Johnny Archer's gonna do? I think he's going to get together with Sam and work out something to save the past. There we have it, ladies and gentlemen. I believe that we are 3-2 to two for intervention, so the Trek captains will jump right in with both feet. All right, so this one is for our adult friends out there, those of you who are 21 and over in the United States. Also, from the shameless capitalism desk, a Canadian company is gearing up to sell a Montana-brewed fermented beverage just in time for the big J.J. Trek premiere. Are you sitting down for this? Are you ready? Okay. Because here it comes. Vulcan Ale. Oh, that's right. You can sit down on a hot summer's day and enjoy a Vulcan Ale. It's being touted as the first and only CBS-licensed Star Trek alcoholic beverage. Now, that might be true because the Romulan Ale Lager brewed by an El Salvadorian company, was probably licensed by Paramount or Viacom. In contrast, though, this CBS-licensed Vulcan Ale is an Irish Red. Listen, I am super-duper looking forward to this. I am not a beer snob as much as I know about my wines, but I don't even really know about my wines too much. But I do like a good brewski. And hopefully this isn't bad beer being labeled Vulcan Ale. So far, people enjoy it. I'm a big fan of ale. I like my ales. I like my amber ales, my lagers. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a big Pilsner fan. I'm looking forward to this. I have high hopes for this, but unfortunately, it's only being distributed in Canada right now. Which uh, is, are you which sure is, it's only is, being distributed in Canada? Because that's what I was curious about. That's what I took from the article when I read it. So I think it's only being distributed in Canada right now. It hopefully can make its way south of the border. It's a red. I like the reds myself. The, the reds and ambers, I like those. So I'm hoping it makes it down here. The blues, the Romulan Ale blue, I'm not so sure I'd enjoy that very much at all. But I think, I think I, I, I'd think i try a Vulcan Ale, even though, as we all know, Vulcans are not drinkers. Hello. 
the interesting thing was in the article that I had read, which, mind you, was submitted to us by a listener, Ben Weiss. Okay, he actually submitted this via email to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. So shout out to Ben. Thank you so very much for bringing this to our attention. But from what I read in the article, the reason for doing the Irish Red was the Irish are, are so hot-tempered and Vulcan Duh. is a hot planet. But Duh. it doesn't really – I don't know. You're right. One, Vulcans don't drink. Right? That's number one. Yeah. But you know what? Whatever you can get, man. Whatever you can get, and if it's a good brewski, and you can sit back and enjoy <laughs> it, just the fact that it's actually an official drink from CBS, the Star Trek Pope says, cool. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. You know, we might see Warp Corp breaches. You know, we might see Romulan ales. Sure. Jay Galloway in the uh, chat room says, next thing you know, Vulcans will be selling it for Lobby Crystals. It'll only be available in a lockbox. Yeah. <laughs> Internet beer. That'd be perfect. Well, thank you very much, listener Ben Weiss, for that little tip you gave us. Did you discover something that you think the rest of our listeners would enjoy hearing about like Ben did? Send them over to us via incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com, and you'll be submitted into our random drawing for 1,000 zen. Captains, we want to remind you here at Priority One, drink responsibly. All right, let's check out what happened in Star Trek Online News. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. In Legacy of Romulus, dev blog number 10, systems designer Phil Gorn Gonzola Zaleski causes a warp core breach in our minds about singularity drives. Before we get started, the blog does preface with a disclaimer, and that disclaimer is that all stats are subject to change. All right, so let's get to it. According to Star Trek Online, Romulans do not use the more familiar matter-antimatter warp core used by the Federation and Klingon Empire. Instead, they have a singularity warp core. With so little in quote-unquote canon to go by, this offers the team more flexibility on how the new mechanics, for Romulan players of course, will work. With this new Singularity Warp Core comes five new Singularity Powers that can be executed after enough energy has built up during combat. In short, according to the blog, Singularity Energy builds gradually while in combat. Singularity will not build if the Warbird is cloaked. Singularity Energy slowly decays while outside of combat. Singularity Energy will determine the potency of the Singularity Power used. Using any Singularity Power will completely deplete your Singularity Meter and prevent it from filling for a period of time. All Singularity Powers have a shared cooldown, as they all depend on Singularity Power to be used. So let's give these powers a quick rundown. Like we mentioned earlier, you'll have the chance to learn five new powers, one at each tier. However, according to the article, the exception to the rule is the fighters. Those ships will have access to a single, specific singularity power. First one is a player-based area of attack or area of effect damage, plus a damage over time called the Plasma Shockwave. It's enhanced by your particle generator skill, and the power releases a massive blast of plasma energy, and it deals some initial plasma damage with that, as well as amount of DOT damage to anybody within 5 kilometers. If they're unlucky enough to be in that close, you can nail them pretty good with that power. It's been one of my favorites on the beta test. This power's radius and damage makes it excellent for clearing out those pesky fighters. Shuttles, mines, just about anything that's small and fragile. 
And it also deals a respectable amount of damage to larger enemies, especially if you get those shields down. That's when I like to use it. The second one available is called Quantum Absorption. I haven't had a chance to play with this one yet. It grants you a large amount of temporary hit points, which uh, prevents damage to your hull if your shields are down. And it has an instant shield heal along with it, and a periodic shield heal over time. According to the article, the power is an excellent choice if you're near defeat or if you need to absorb an alpha strike. Up next is Warp Shadow. That acts to confuse your enemy. When you activate the ability, you execute a short-range subspace jump to a nearby location and create a number of shadows, warp shadows. These indestructible copies of yourself are intended to confuse an unsuspecting foe. Hopefully they attack them instead of you. Now, does this work best in PvE or... You know, in other words, if you're in PvP, will another player easily identify the real ship? I think it depends on the weapons. Uh, if it mimics your weapons load, I think it'll be a little more effective. But from what I know of other mechanics like this in the game, they tend to fire the base weapons that you would get from a ship that of your class. So, like, if your Federation is going to fire phasers, even if you have anti-protons mounted on your particular playable ship. So hopefully, I haven't had a chance to test it in action, but that's the kind of the dead giveaway in PvP is that it's firing the wrong type of gun. If you're shooting at them with Tetrions and all of a sudden start shooting plasma beams, a human player will know what's up. Okay. The next ability available to Romulan captains is the Singularity Jump, which in summation is the super self-teleport ability. According to the article, upon activation, you will deploy an expanding singularity at your current location before executing a subspace jump five kilometers away. Enemies near the singularity will be drawn toward its center and will have their accuracy, damage, and perception dramatically reduced. Additionally, affected enemies will become decloaked and suffer minor kinetic damage over time. So this is pretty much a gravity well on steroids, right? Oh, I like this one. This one sounds like fun. Uh, the difference is, of course, with gravity well, you can shoot it out over there and get it going. But this one's going to be focused on you. But then you jump out of the way. So get everybody in nice and close and then pop it on them. That one will be fun. Lastly, Romulan captains will have access to a power called Singularity Overcharge, which literally overcharges your energy weapons for a short time. The trade-off is that it drains power from your Singularity Core, so if I understand, you slow down, ergo losing defense bonuses. Additionally, this power duration is brief, so it's critical to make sure your intended target is within range of your firing arc before activating this power. At the end of the blog, Gorn Gonzola provides a chart that details the singularity powers that are available to the announced Romulan ships. So be sure to head on over to www.priority1podcast.com for links in the show notes. So in general, I mean, what do you think of the new ability? Do you think some of them are overpowered? Any that you find might be more useful than others? You see, me personally, I'm not a fan of the plasma boom. Not a fan of plasma the boom? plasma shockwave. <laughs> <laughs> plasma shockwave. Why, why Elijah no like plasma boom? What wrong with plasma boom, Elijah? <laughs> I don't like boom. Boom, bada boom, big, 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 ba bada, big boom. bada boom. <laughs> well, just get your multi-pass out there and uh, buy yourself a higher level ship so you can get uh, access to that singularity jump, which Admiral Tade in the chat room tells me that it's not really good. It needs to be tweaked. The damage is small, and the pull is only really good when you're up at the highest tier, the level 5. So we've got one vote that says that Singularity Jump, the gravity well on steroids, needs to be given an extra shot of medicine to make it a little tougher. 
I like the Plasma Shockwave. I've announced my intention to run my Romulan character 1 through 40 in the first ship, in the little junker. I'm going to do them 1 to 40 in the junker, and so I think I'm only going to have Plasma Shockwave, so I better learn to love it. I think I like the gravity well on steroids, the singularity jump. I think that will be awesome in STFs. Like I said, the plasma shockwave, that's not something I would use. But you know why? Because either I don't know how to use it or it is underpowered. I don't know. I don't know. Well, could be user error. Let's not eliminate that possibility. It could be a very, very bad case of ID10T error. Oh, yes. yes ID10T error. I, well, that you do not want to have an ID10T error. There's also problems with the operator of the graphical user interface. That one is bad as well. You know, boy, if you have either one of those, it's expensive to get rid of, let me tell you. Well, moving on to Legacy of Romulus dev blog number 11. Subscriber bennies are all detailed here thanks to Steve, Salami Inferno, Rakasa Jr. If you had a pre-order code from Game Launch, your special weapons and consoles will be waiting for you on your Romulan character. Current and former monthly subscribers are getting their free Vice Admiral ship tokens, plus all the usual goodies that gold status brings. Lifetime subscribers are indeed getting a playable liberated Borg Romulan, along with instant access to all of the veteran rewards. One note on those vet rewards, they have not finished making some of the goodies yet, like the 1,000-day veteran ship. It's on the schedule, but it won't be available at launch. So we're all going to have to be patient and let the art team and the ship team catch up with all of the crazy additions to the code and all the new story and stuff. In Legacy of Romulus Devlog number 12, the artists introduce us to Romulan fashion. And joining us is Priority One's resident fashionista and author of our Trekking in Style blogs on PriorityOnePodcast.com and a member of Caspian Rising, Will V. Thank you so very much for joining us tonight, Will. Thank you for having me. All right, so let's get right to it. What's Devlog number 12 about? Like you said, Dev Blog number 12 is all about my favorite subject, fashion. We get into the little details that took the art team to create a new sense of Romulan style for 2409. In the Dev Blog, he talks about how the Romulan sense of fashion really seems to mirror the era that the Romulans were in. For example, in the 60s, they had the short short skirts and high boots in the 80s they had big shoulder pads so that was one of the challenges is you know how how do they update that for the new millennium as well as having it reflect the sense of from riches to rags they take cues from the fashion world around them so we had the mini skirts and we had the shoulder pads so are you saying that the 21st century romulan aesthetic is all about the lapels yes lapels are good <laughs> I can dig the lapels. I actually, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of peat coats and big, big flaring lapel. It's interesting that you mention about, one, the era. That's fantastic. I mean, you know, the shoulder pads of the 80s, those were the in. And it's funny because I was just watching, this is the 80s on National Geographic. I don't know if anybody's caught that, but it's a great documentary. I encourage everybody to watch it if you're a, a child or, or born in the 80s. But on top of that, we've got the first lady that was dressed like a Romulan. Oh, God, I saw that. I was like, please, lady, don't do that. Who dressed you? <laughs> I found it particularly interesting in the dev blog where he's talking about some of the cues they took for the new style. Things like a young Harrison Ford, which I immediately picked up with the Han Solo-ish look that this has going. Kind of also like a 
like a Indiana Jones with lots of, of leathers and browns and gray. I talk about cues also from shows like Firefly, Revolution, cues from the Civil War era. And I could see all those influences in the new Romulans, new uniforms or new wardrobes. I mean, immediately I could say that that's a Romulan uniform, but I really enjoyed how it got updated. The first night uh, we logged in and got it uh, going up, there were a lot of people saying they were creating their Mal Reynolds's. That Firefly feel really came through in a lot of people's characters that they built. Yeah, absolutely. I had seen some of the screenshots that Brandon had posted earlier from the screenshots of what the Romulans were going to look like. And I kind of could see what they were going for, but it's a look that's also instantly recognizable as Romulans. The shoulder pads are not as over-the-top as the ones in Next Generation, but you can kind of still tell that there's some prominent. There's also the obvious checkered, squared patterns to their chest pieces and whatnot. They also mention sashes in the Dev blog. There are some NPCs that have unique shoulders and unique capes sort of sashes that I'm thinking will probably be part of the veteran rewards that will be included later on when the expansion launches for Romulan. Awesome. I am thrilled. I mean, is there anything else from the blog that kind of stood out to you? The big picture of the Sea Store costume coming out. That GoGo 60s obviously made an impression, and, and you know, they, they are apparently adding it to the Sea Store. I'm sure there's going to be plenty of people running around in their mini skirts. From the header, the header of the actual dev blog, I can see the Romulan on the far left, the male and female Romulan. Those seem military almost. You know, you got the, the bit of the extension on the shoulder pads. Actually, even the ones on the far right, too. But the two in the middle, I have a hard time seeing Romulan. That, that, that does feel a little human, like futuristic human rugged. The ones to the far left are actually wearing the Klingon variant of the uniform. The ones to the far right are wearing the Federation variant. And one thing I particularly liked is that in spite of the fact that they've obviously got motif cues from the faction that they're allied with, they are very much still Romulan uniforms. There's no United Federation of Planet insignia, no KDF insignia. You know, it's still very much a Romulan uniform. So you can tell that they may be working with different allies, but they are still part of the Romulan Republic's military, and I really like that. I'm sure it must have been a lot of work, and I think this is probably one of the best additions. The whole Romulan faction is, I think, the best addition that's been added to STO since launch. It's just so full of style and substance. Oh yeah, I'm sure we haven't even scratched the surface yet. Well, well, tell us a little bit about your upcoming article here for Trekking in Style on PriorityOnePodcast.com. Well, my upcoming article is pretty much called Rihansu Style. And it's one of the funny things that I found. This dev blog came out the same week that my column will be released this Friday. And it's pretty much the same thing. It's my impressions on what I've seen from the Romulans' sense of fashion, the costumes. One of the things I've personally enjoyed is how costumes are being used in the Romulan faction. They're using Romulan costumes in a way never really seen before in Estia, which is as part of the storytelling process. And I really enjoy that. 
Well, Will, thank you for joining us this evening here on PriorityOnePodcast.com. Please keep writing. We are so grateful that you are writing content for PriorityOnePodcast.com. Everybody loves Trekking in Style by Will V. And keep them coming, man. Everybody loves them. Thanks, Will. Thank you very much. I really do enjoy it. I'm glad you guys No problem. Thanks for having me. All right. And thank you again to Will V. Let's go ahead and move on to dev blog number 13. All right, Legacy of Romulus dev blog number 13. If you've had the opportunity of playing the beta for Legacy, you'll know that the way you get buffs has changed a little bit. Now, don't go crazy, y'all. The mechanics haven't really changed. You'll still earn a new buff. You'll slot it. You'll raise him from a puppy. You'll clean up after his messes. All the same stuff you're used to doing. But they're not just random drops anymore. These buffs are now part of your story as a Romulan captain. To that end... The first member of your ragtag little crew is Tovan Kev, and dev blog number 13 is his biography. It's pretty lengthy. We're not going to go reading you guys a little story time here. You can read it for yourself, but be sure to check the links in the show notes for the complete post. Now, I do have one little tiny pet peeve, and I have to make a confession. I am a bit of a grammar Nazi, and like in the first paragraph, he says, uh, you rely on your bridge officers for counsel, and he spells it with the C-I-L at the end. And I just, I, it, uh, I just stopped reading. I couldn't do it. I couldn't go on. I couldn't do it, Elijah. D- does that make? Wait, you stopped reading a, a b- I couldn't do it. You, you counsel. Counsel is a okay. group of people that gives you advice. If you want to go to somebody for advice, that advice is counsel with an S E L at the end. Does that make me a bad person, Elijah? That I stopped reading. Um, no, but Brandon, get on that so that. Tony can read that article. Yeah, I just oh, it's just too no, it's too much. But I mean, sure. <laughs> all my all my grammar Nazis aside, I mean, is that what do you think? Is this the way we should have been getting boss all along? Should they have been a part of the Federation story, a part of the Klingon arc? Should your first bridge officer be the guy that watches your back and is your loyal and true warrior friend? I mean, should that have been happening at the beginning? What do you think? I think it's a nice touch. It pulls away from the flexibility that I have to mix and match my boffs. But I think maybe for the first bridge officer, for your very first, there should be a little bit of a story to it. There should be a little bit of a relationship developed there. The rest of the team, you know, interchangeable, whatever. But your first officer, there should be a bit of a backstory to it. And I like that. I think they continue to do that throughout the course of the Romulan story. And so the rest of your bridge officers are part of the story and you put together this ragtag crew. I don't think that it's going to work for every player. I think a lot of people want to create their own stories and that's fine. And there's still that flexibility to do that. But I think this is a nice start. And I would love to see maybe in the Federation if they ever did a digitally remastered Federation or Klingon. Well, actually, it might come for the Klingon that your first officer be part of a story. You know, you've got to go save him or something of that nature. And maybe it's a unique name every time, so that way it's not the same first officer for everybody and their mother. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a good teaching mechanic, really. I mean, you can do a lot of story exposition and explanation of the world that you're in through strongly written bridge officer character. I think it's a good mechanic. Yeah, I agree with you. I hope if they go back and redo the Fed tutorial one day, they put that kind of you know, buddy along there with you, at least for the first 10 levels, so you can get your feet wet in the Star Trek Online universe. Uh, maybe they have it, like you said. Maybe they got it for the Klingons this time. I think that'd be a good thing, but we'll have to see when we get that uh, stuff rolled out to Tribble. All right, up next is our Spotlight on the Foundry. This week's Spotlight mission is Shipwrecked by author Greg247. It's a KDF mission that pits your warrior skills against the conniving Romulans for control of a vast energy source. 
Tony, you got a chance to play the mission, huh? I did, I did. I played the mission earlier, and it's uh, it's solid. I gave it four stars. I was bothered by two things, though. One of them was story-based, and one was kind of a technical foundry thing. I'll start with the technical one first. They spelled council wrong! The mission was over <laughs> when it started! <laughs> I managed to repress my grammar Nazi tendencies for missions. I give people a little bit of leeway for that kind of thing on the Foundry because we're all amateurs out there, right? You know, but for the dev blog, for on the Star Trek Online page, I mean, come on, people. Let's just let's use a dictionary. Crack one open. But I digress. Anyway, my first beef, I'll start with the technical thing. It's a, it's a Foundry thing that I kind of notice on a lot of missions. If you're going to have NPCs that launch Thaleron mines at you, Please, for the love of Pete, give me a respawn point so I don't have to run all the way back from the beginning of the map. I mean, a Thaleron mine is going to kill somebody at some point. There's just the critical hits are too hard, and it just zaps you, and it's going to happen. So throw me a bone here, people. Give me a respawn point. The second one was kind of story. A little spoiler here. I'll give you a three count. One, two, three. Okay. At some point, your brave warrior KDF guy surrenders to the Romulans. No way. No, I, 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 no, no, no way. Not, not my brave Klingon warrior. I mean, I understand for the plot purposes why you have to come under the control of the bad guys at a particular point. I mean, I get that, but do something else there, KDF authors. Do anything else there. Make it uh, poison gas, uh, stun grenades, tornadoes, lava flows, I, whatever. Anything but surrender. Elisha, does Milkenezer have? My grandparents were killed at Kitima. And you expect me to surrender to those green-blooded, pointy-eared, backstabbing patoks? How dare you? That is a terrible assumption. I would never, ever, ever surrender. They would suffer at the tip of my blade. I would tear out their hearts with my bare hands. Okay. I think I get it. I'm glad you agree with me. But otherwise, it was a good mission, well worthy of the spotlight, worked well. Uh, he had some really great maps, did some good stuff with uh, some custom buildings and maps that he made. Good mission all around. Go play it. Shipwrecked by author Greg247. We've got a few patch notes from the triple side. Again, not much action on Holodeck given the impending release of the expansion. But big news, Sela now has her cape. That <gasps> Yes, uh, Will V will be happy to hear that. I think Zeronius Rex out there is crying for help because she went on for several lines. It was pretty funny about the importance of Sela having her new cape, and I recommend that everybody hit those patch notes over there to read that. But I think it's a cry for help. The pressure's getting to her. She's starting to be a little crazy. So everyone be nice to her over there because uh, she could crack at any time. You've been warned. Also, we've got tons of tweaking to powers and mechanics that are going on behind the scenes as they kind of update uh, the game itself for the expansion. So everybody should get over to Tribble and test out the new powers and mechanics they've got. And Thomas the Cat, the man is a machine. Elijah, you think you're a mandroid? No, 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 no. Thomas the Cryptic Cat is a mandroid because he's done more stuff to the UI. And as soon as the servers come back up, everyone should go check out his changes to the UI as well and give him some feedback. And last on the Star Trek Online website, we have April's Ask Cryptic. Last week on April 26th, the Stowe team delivers answers to player-submitted questions. As usual, we've picked out some of the questions and answers that piqued our interest most. Let's go ahead and give a brief recap of those. We've got a question from CGN1987. Are you thinking about implementing more custom bridges, or would a bridge editor be possible in the future? 
And the team answers that we've always wanted to implement a custom bridge editor, but would like for the tech in the foundry to progress to the point where this is possible. There's a chance this might become available in the future, but it's several seasons away from a possibility. So here's where I see problems. Every instance is saved on the server, right? So that would be a blot. So I'm sure they have to conquer a database hurdle with that. Yeah. But man, would I love to see this type of flexibility on the creation of bridges. When playing City of Heroes and creating a supergroup, the fact that you can literally create your own supergroup with your own assets and your own items and place them where you want to place them and rearrange the rooms, man, I would love to see that on the star bases. I would settle for the bridge. It's a much smaller environment and easier to control. I wish they would do that with the star bases, and heck, if they could do that for the bridges, I'd be cool. Hopefully that we get some love in the foundry and that they expand the uses of that tool, but it's several seasons away. Oof. The next question was submitted by Kiri Muffin, and that was, will Romulans have access to their allies' sea store ships and consoles? When a Romulan character opens a console reward pack from a lockbox, will they get it? The Stowe team replied that Romulans will have access to Tier 4 and lower sea store ships and consoles from those ships, but will not be able to command Tier 5, Rear Admiral, Vice Admiral, Brigadier General, Lieutenant General ships. As for lockbox consoles and ships, Romulans will get access to their allied version console reward packs and most lockbox ships. Now, it's important to note that players are not able to open the lockbox until they have finally chosen an ally. At launch, Romulan players will not have access to a time variant, nor will they have access to mirror ships, and thus will not be able to open those reward packs. They can still open temporal lockboxes, though, and get the other rewards. The Stowe team does plan to create a unique variant for Romulans to be released at a future date. Full details about this topic can be found in a specific dev blog. And we have another question from Origin Pi. Will Romulans who have selected Federation allies and Romulans who have selected Klingon allies be able to join teams together? And if so, which allies would be able to join the team? And the STO team answers, due to the way that teams and open teams function in Star Trek Online, once a Romulan selects an ally, they will not be able to create a team with another Romulan who chose a different ally unless they are in an event queue. What that means is that if Romulans who have selected different allies will be unable to team for specific episodes in the Romulan storyline, but will be able to team for events and fleet actions where cross-teaming faction is already allowed. So anything that you can open team, you can open team with any Romulan. Anything that is closed team, you got to work with your own allies. All right, Captains, and coming to a close in Stone News, we actually wanted to comment on Terry Lynn Scholl's Massively.com article about a specific highlight regarding legacy packs versus starter packs. And I'm just going to read it because Terry writes so well that it's so easily translatable to be read out loud. She writes this. She wants to clarify that unlike the Neverwinter packages Cryptic is offering, the STO legacy pack already contains everything in the starter pack. So there's no reason to buy both. However, if a player buys the starter pack first and then changes her mind and she decides she wants the legacy pack, she still can. But what's not clear from any of the released information or FAQs is whether she would receive any discount for the previously purchased starter pack. So, take Terry's advice. Think very hard before you choose which to buy. If there's a greater chance you're going to end up buying the Legacy Pack, then just buy the Legacy Pack and don't put yourself into a position of screwing yourself out of 20 bucks. 
Again, you can check out Terry Lynn Scholl's Captain's Log on Massively.com. Her weekly articles about Star Trek Online, they are fantastic. We always support everything from Terry Lynn and our friends over at Podcast UGC and Massively.com. I would have liked it better if they're going to do it that way. I think they would have been better served by offering two or three price points. You know, one for the $20, one for, oh, I don't know, Elijah, how's $60 sound to you? Would you buy something like that for $60? I'd pay $60 for that. That's right. I thought you would. But And then the full 120 pack. I think they should have gone with that. But last but certainly not least, if you haven't already, be sure to check out the second episode of On Screen, which features a short video interview by Denise Crosby, TNG's Tasha Yar, and later playing the role of Sela. As you all probably know, On Screen is a quarterly video podcast done by Brandon, Brand Flakes, and Wit, a.k.a. Captain Kiki, about Star Trek Online and developments at Cryptic. So go check that out on their website. I have a question, though. Who is Captain Kiki? Who is Captain Kiki? Yeah, I, Where did I don't she know come either. From? I have no she's, idea. She's a mystery. She was in the original one. She's a mystery wrapped in an enigma, covered in a conundrum, and smothered with secret sauce. It's just unknowable. I don't know what she does at Cryptic. I really have no idea. I don't know what she does at Perfect World or Cryptic. I, I don't, I don't, is she a community manager for the, I, I still don't know. I, because I remember there was some feedback about the first episode. Again, nobody knowing who she was. And I don't remember getting a definitive answer from anybody as to who Captain Kiki was. All right, Elijah, you are our roving, intrepid reporter. Put on your little press hat and you get out there with a tape recorder and some hard-nosed questions. Ah, here we go. She's Perfect World Entertainment Public Relations, so she handles PR. That must be a tough gig, man. More power to her. Woo! My hat is tipped to you. Your reporter hat. All right, Captains. Well, that wraps up Star Trek Online News for this week. Now it's time to educate you on PvP combat with this episode's Field Notes. I'm sure there is an answer. Well, better get some facts. All right, joining me for this episode's Field Notes segment is Pax Ottomana from the Turkish RP Heroes and instructor over at the PvP Boot Camp. Thank you very much for joining me this episode, Pax. Thank you for having me. All right, so what are we going to be learning this episode? Well, with the experience that we've had in our involvement with the PvP uh, Boot Camp, there are three points that are broken down into three subsections, and uh, I think the first one would be a beginner setup, the second would be team coordination, and the third one, of course, and most importantly, overcoming intimidation. All right, so this is very much an introductory course into PvP, getting people's feet wet, so to speak, before they join the PvP Boot Camp. Exactly, yes. All right, so let's talk about beginning here in PvP. How should players prepare before walking into PvP either in a match or to the PvP boot camp? What should they already have in their back pocket? Well, I've broken down the beginner setup into three little subsections, and it's captain types, bridge officer layouts, and ship types. And this all revolves around the synergy that's involved with PvP and overall consensus. The general understanding is that if you mix it up as much as possible, if you have like a rainbow effect of abilities, captains, you name it. If you just mix it up, if you make it into a mosaic of performance, like an orchestra of abilities and so on and so forth, you're going to get the best results. Um, so having said that, I would say captain types. So you want to have at least two science 
two tacticals and maybe an engineer or a wild card is what it would be called. So if you're playing with a bunch of friends, that would be probably ideal in that situation. If you're a lone wolf, if you're by yourself, bridge officer layouts, for instance, would be a keen focus for you to even begin from, I would say. Of course, the ship type makes a difference, but general thinking, PvP bootcamp is oriented towards encouraging those to approach one another, networking a everlasting relationship. The bridge officer layouts, of course, you if you're flying a tactical, you want to have the maximum amount of uh, damage output, so you want to complement your team as the DPS guy, as the damage guy, so you want to have an Omega, you want to have a rapid fire in there, you want to have tac teams in there. So when you're able to um, throw down an, an immaculate amount of damage, and you're called down to do it, this is basically where you come in. As far as a science captain is concerned, you want to bring in a specific kind of focus, um, it, be it scramble sensors, TBR, all the commander abilities. You want to f make an emphasis on what your commander science ability is going to be. As a personal uh, science fan, I would say that that's probably the ultimate meta end game is science in this game. I think a science captain can basically put himself in any ship. So it's always important to let people know what your commander ability is going to be. Uh, the ship type is also extremely important. I would say that uh, if people know that you're in a Wells, a Vesta, or a deep space science vessel, they know what your bridge officer layout potentially could be. So and then you can deliberate with your teammates as to how your bridge officers are going to be laid out. And you basically communicate all of this amongst your potential new teammates. So that would be the first thing. That would be the beginner setup. You want to know, A, your captain types that are part of your, your group, your bridge officer layouts, and your ship types. Okay. So the fundamental abilities of a science officer should be what? Any science commander ability is applicable, depending on how you would like to complement your team. If you're running a Titan's Rift, good to know. We'll see how we can team coordinate that. So that's the second part to the three things that we broke down. So for science captains running in a science vessel, there isn't any top three abilities that they should have. There are. To some effect, I would say a shockwave would be a more safer bet. A scramble is an alternative. All right, and now what about engineers? What sort of ability should engineers really have in their back pocket? The engineer is usually the guy that keeps everyone alive. He's probably the most quiet guy. If he's even on your vent, he's probably really busy looking at uh, your team's buffs. So basically, he's looking at what your debuffs are on you, what has been applied onto you if you're being damaged, if he's looking at your shield facings, that's what he should be generally doing. His abilities, I would say, either an Oxus Structural Integrity 3 as a commander ability, or an Extends 3, mainly because of this. Depending on what the other team may be using, there are a lot of bleed-through builds out there. A simple swap of the commander ability can altercate the addressing of a matter, and Extends Shields would actually be a detrimental factor to a bleed-through build, for instance. So you would want to have a Oxus Structural Integrity there instead. Something to address bleed-through. If they're not doing so much damage to your shields, but they're doing damage through your shields, addressing those would probably be ideal. So you, depending on the circumstance of who you're facing, you counter it as you go along. And you don't have to leave the match to do it. You can have a bridge officer, get extra bridge officer slots. That's always good buy as many bridge officer slots, have as many variations of bridge officers, so you can go in there with a deck of cards, and you get, you're ready to play them at any time. And lastly, we are at tacticals. Right. Tactical abilities are generic, if, at best. You would probably look at 
target subsystems would probably be falling under a science category. I would refrain from them on an escort. You want to go with a B-Mobile setup of some sort, or even a counter rapid fire of some sort, and you want to have the most burst damage possible. You want to have that ability to go out and destroy targets at will whenever your team has sufficiently debuffed a specified target. So that's also really important. A tactical and a science captain can be very valuable to the coordination of that. You'd want to determine who is going to be your target caller. So that's also important. So this guy will tell you who to shoot, focus fire on, so on and so forth. You'll get into more advanced tactics as you go along. As you know, when you do target calling, uh, it comes a common practice, and you'll want to experiment with it. So when you're on your tactical captain, it's a good way to um, look at attack pattern omega three, rapid fire two, and tactical team. These are the three basic abilities that you want to have at your disposal. You can always go about with a, a high spike build with junction to rapid fire, since most of your weapons on your escort. I would say put a dual heavy setup in the front for if you're going to go with a beam overload setup go with a commander attack pattern omega 3 rapid fire 2 beam overload 2 and tactical team 1 in order to complement this you can always throw in a weapon battery because of the power drain another thing you can do is off. but I would kind of for beginners I would say maintain an RSP and two copies of emergency power shields but I think the most important thing is maneuverability. Uh, the way I fly my escort and a number of my peers do is high weapon power and secondary engines. Your main defense is not resistances on your shields. If you're trying to tank in an escort, like if you're thinking that you're going to be able to shield tank, yes, to a degree, it is possible. However, your main defense is actually whizzing around and trying to keep weapons off of you, mostly the other escort that's shooting at you. They only have 45-degree angles to shoot you with. If you are debuffed, if your movement is debuffed, ask for a cleanse. If you are, let's say, more plasmid, ask for a hazard. If not, use your own hazard, which would be very effective. So I would say hazard emitter on your escort would be ideal in today's setups because of the amount of theta and amount of war plasma that is being used in the queues currently and in pre-made actions. Not only are these transferable to other teammates, but also to lessen the burden of your healer, your dedicated healer, you would be applying these to yourself or even to other teammates in the event that there is a uh, attack being uh, conducted on another teammate besides yourself. So attack pattern omega-3 with rapid fire 2 with all four cannons across or with a single beam overload and a single dual beam bank in the front would be a basic setup and two copies of tactical team. Okay, awesome. So now once captains have these base layouts, we're talking about collaboration. Yes, like coordination, exactly, yeah. In effect, this is the salad. This is basically, let's just say, the tack is the red tomato, the science is the green lettuce, and the engineer is the sauce. Okay, so you basically want to mix this up as much as possible, communicate as much as possible, and you got yourself a salad. You got yourself a very potent and very flavorful team. So you're basically cooking it up, in effect. And this only happens if you communicate. If you communicate all what you have, then you're going to be able to complement what you have in a more effective way. And I'll give you examples for it. If you're running a beam overload setup, you want that beam overload to count every single time. How do you do this? You talk with your science guy that's in your team, or even your engineer. For him to put on a tractor beam on there, would be an amazing 
complement to the effectiveness of your beam overload or a target engines or a viral matrix or anything to that effect or warp plasma etc and you communicate this you basically say I got a beam overload escort you build your ship around your ability to kill the other team and that's basically what you want to utilize on so you want to utilize around the offensive ability much less the defensive ability of your team because it's abstract defense is abstract and offense is exclusive so make sure that you revolve around the exclusive idea of how you would complement and effectively destroying the other team's team members if you are running a tractor beam yourself on your escort you want to communicate that to your healer so he can better heal you because you're more reliant on heals you also want to say when I am going to alpha this target I would like the sub nuke to be applied to him just after I've alpha on him or before I've alpha on him etc so you can basically coordinate a type of attack that debuffs all of the defensive measures that the other target has been applied to so let's say uh, target A has a hazard emitter, a transfer shields, an emergency power shields, and a attack team. The tactical guy, if he is the target caller, can ask for a sub nuke to destroy all of those buffs on him. And then he can buff up and kill that target. So basically when you're doing this, it's not just a tactical that's killing the target. It's three people that are just effectively going about and killing him. So let's say you got two tacticals. You get them both to buff up at the same time. You coordinate what you have on your team. You have two alphas, you alpha out at the same time. One of them is using a beam overload. Sure, use a tractor beam. Once the tractor beam is applied, apply the beam overload. Once the target's been debuffed, apply your tactical buffs. And so on and so forth. And these are the basic gists of it all. I mean, you can go in there and you can put these practices to effect and you will receive results almost immediately. And the engineer, of course, is busy handing out the heals, or if not, debuffing targets as well, along with the size, with even an eject warp plasma. And here's the other thing that you want to consider. I see sensor scans often misused. A sensor scan debuffs the hull of a specific target. So when you are applying a sensor scan, make sure that the target's shields are in jeopardy. And remember, a science team does clear a subnuke, does also clear the sensor scan. So these are the defensive measures that you take into consideration when you're doing this. So if it's done to you, science team is always very important to have on your team. All right, so let's get into the probably the most sensitive topic, which is overcoming intimidation. Yes, overcoming intimidation. And I have kind of like shied into it in the last few moments there. I think this is the most important part of the segment, as a matter of fact. I think people don't give themselves enough credit whenever they perform or do not perform. I've been in matches where I've lost 0 to 15. I've been in matches that I've won 15 nothing. Treating each and every match indifferently is almost impossible. You can't. You're a human being. You want to triumph. You want to be good. You want to have fun. You're competitive. You are all of the above. However, overcoming intimidation is a separate factor. Segregating your attitude from self-critical matters is absolutely the most important thing to do. I'm not good enough is probably one of the most thrown around uh, words. Even in my own fleet, I have it said to me all the time. A lot of people come up to me. If you have players like that in your community, get those guys to overcome that intimidation through various means. For instance, a uh, crack planet is the map, and a very talented captain or escort pilot would get into a escort 
most likely a Defy or a bug ship or something that's very quick and maneuverable with no shields. And the only thing he would be allowed to do is use his attack pattern Omega and his evasive maneuvers. His job is to stay alive, whereas the other team member is to try and kill him. The trick to this is actually the rocks in Crack Planet. You know, the game does not host any kind of tutorial for PvP, so you can go in there and you can evasive maneuver around rocks to kill your opponent. You can wait for him to come out and make a mistake. You can buff up at the right times. You don't want to buff up on someone when they're evasive maneuvering. So, but long story short, you can do this with a friend. Get one other friend, get him in an escort, get yourself in an escort. Go into Crack Planet, create a private match, have the score go up to 15, and have him shoot you, try to kill you. The times that he does kill you is going to be so rewarding to him because he got you because you're hiding behind a rock. He's hiding behind a rock, he's trying to kill you. Indirectly, what's happening is he's becoming more and more confident with his dual heavy cannons, which have a 45 degree angle. This is the indirect effect of it. Applying a distraction by using what the game has to offer is probably the most beneficial way of actually showing people how to gain confidence in their abilities and so performances in this game. The second thing that we do is actually the tanking test. The tanking test is basically a person gets shot at by multiple friends. And he says, I'm always squishy, I always die. Instead of going to a competitive match, a PvP match, to see how long he can last, or going into Karat, or any of those other competitive arenas, what he can do is create a private match, get a few of his friends together, or even write an organized PvP, I want to test something. There's always someone that just wants to test something. Or even for the first test, for escorts, I want to test something. Say something like that. Someone will be always glad to do that with you. I mean, whatever the case is, there will always be someone there to do something with you. Because I can tell you this. The seasoned player is always delighted to have a new player around. Always. No matter who it is. I can't say that there is a big deal into, you know, involving an older player with a newer player. People are always willing to help in this game. And it's probably one of the best things about Star Trek Online. So you go into this uh, match and you have friends shooting at you. <laughs> the trick is to see how long you last, depending on what ship you're in. You go in with your engineer cruiser and you see how long you last. You see how many sub-nukes you can survive. And the reason why this works is because you're not focused on the outcome of the match. You're not focused on healing other teammates. You're not focused on any of the other stuff. So your self-sustainability is your emphasis in that process. You become more and more aware of which buffs to hit and how to progress through them. One by one, you go right through the whole scheme of it, and eventually you get the hang of it. And then you switch around your bridge officer abilities. You go back to the drawing board sometimes, and it's always fun. It keeps you busy. It keeps you doing stuff, and it keeps you you know, getting new equipment. And then you see how well you can tank and how well you can heal. And that's the third test, how well you can heal someone. You get a partner, one other guy. You go in the queue match, right? you go on a team speak, and you just communicate with him. He's like your spotter or whatever. You're like two snipers kind of thing if you're in escorts. You see, okay, he doesn't have attack team. All right, let's 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 buff up and kill him. You're not focused on the outcome of the match. That's the key word here. Never focus on the outcome of the match. In both exercises, you're not. The third exercise, you're in an, a live match, obviously, and you coordinate a specific attack on someone. If you're tactical, if you're science, you coordinate a specific kind of debuff combo with another partner. Make sure that you're in tandem. So you're two science captains, two tactical captains or your two healers of some sorts. Two science captains are really good healers as well, and so are two engineer captains. And they can basically administer heals progressively in a huge amount. Let's say, you know, one guy is, is going down, and all of the heals went on to him. 
And then guess what? The other team just sub-nuked and scanned him, and he's dead. Because what happened? Because one, both engineers applied all their heals on the guy. He had 150% resistance, which is impossible, by the way. It's 75%. So one engineer is capable of bringing someone's resistance up to 75% alone. You can do this alone as an engineer. So the other guy basically could have held on to his heals and kept him alive a little longer. So you get a partner, and you go in there, and you basically coordinate survival tactics or attack tactics or debuff tactics. You put into effect a tandem endeavor or effort. And mostly, that's basically what it comes down to the beginner setup. You want to have two tacks, two sides. That's really important. And an engineer and a science can always go in tandem as well. If you're doing a healer exercise, go ahead and do that as well. Or if you've got a, uh, an engineer that does movement debuffs with War Plasma, go ahead and you know, do that with them as well. All that stuff is an important factor to overcoming intimidation because, like I said, you're not focused on the outcome. Never be focused on the outcome. Go in there, have fun, meet people, know them. Forget about, oh, I lost. Everyone loses. The best lose. Play the game. Play the game. The last thing I want to say, zone chat. After a match, before a match, during a match, nothing derogatory, nothing negative. Don't ever say anything bad to another player and vice versa. Even if they say something to you, it's bad sportsmanship. Forget about it. Let it go. Who cares? He said something stupid? Forget it. Just move on. All right. Well, Pax, I really would like to thank you for joining me for this episode of Field Notes and helping to make PvP more accessible to the average player. Tell us, how can we get in touch with you or the team over at PvP Bootcamp? You can either contact myself. My at handle in-game is at P-A-X-O-T-T-O-M-A-N-A. Or the forums for the uh, PvP Bootcamp. A number of coaches are also on there. They're also available. I happen to be one of the coaches, just as a reminder to a lot of folks out there. PvP Bootcamp doesn't have to be exclusive to the designated times. Just make yourself available, and I'm sure someone will make themselves available for you as well, just as long as you're willing to go along, and that's probably the best thing you can do. Awesome. Well, we will have links in our show notes to the PvP Bootcamp website and how to register. Pax, again, I want to thank you for joining this episode's Field Notes. You're more than welcome to come back at any time. Thank you for your time, and thank you for your knowledge. Thank you. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. All right, checking in from the Star Trek Online forums, we have Azurian Star. Her tales of meeting Trek fans were interesting from her how Lita wasn't originally meant to be long-term and Klingon cosplayers that really were warriors of the real world. Kapla. Wait, wait, wait. Kapla! All right, and Taco Fangs, that troll... Last year, I was walking through the convention, and there was a man and woman having a conversation in one of the aisles, not at a stall or a table or a booth. And my immediate thought was, holy cow, that woman is gorgeous. Followed by, derp, that's Chase Masterson. (laughs) Well, you were pretty struck by her, too, weren't you, Elijah? I mean... You had a nice conversation with her about her charity work and about her role as Lita and all that kind of stuff. I was struck enough to fumble her name and say Chaste Masterson. (laughs) She's a phenomenal person. She's so personable. She gets, like I said in the interview, she gets in the trenches. Every time I've seen her at a convention, she's there. She's having these conversations with these fans. You know, she's not blowing them off. She's not, you know, let's move along here or anything of that nature. No, she gets to know these people. She has conversations with them. 
and she was so nice to me. You know, she knew that I was nervous. She saw that I was nervous. She's, I'm, I'm sure she could tell that that I was starstruck, but she still handled it with grace. She laughed at the, the Chase Masterson fumble that I did, but she answered well. It was as if though I was asking her these questions for the first time, and I'm sure she gets them over and over again. So I am so very grateful that she took the time to meet with me, to interview with me on such a busy weekend. Well, you had fun, and I'm super jealous. So over at PriorityOnePodcast.com, Chan checks in and says, Woohoo! DS9! I believe that was a reference to your Chase Masterson interview. Well, the whole weekend was very much a DS9-oriented event because DS9 celebrates its 20th year this year. So right. it's a milestone for them, and they're celebrating it in style. And the Grand Nagus checks in as well. Enjoyed the show as always, especially the convention interviews. The fleet security timer issue seemed to get a little confusing in the last bit of discussion. So how about simply having a timer on an individual character or account removing officers? What I mean is this. Let's say Fleet Leader Fred gets his account hacked or lets his buddy play his account or just becomes a jerk all of a sudden. The person playing Fred's account then decides to start kicking out all the other fleet leaders. However... Fred's character slash account could only kick out one fleet leader every 24 hours. The other fleet leaders could immediately kick Fred out if they couldn't get in touch with him or weren't satisfied with his explanation. There should also be a 24-hour time period before any new fleet leaders could use kick powers, meaning Fred couldn't promote some other guy as a leader and kick someone with them. Hope that makes sense. Why, yes, Nagus, it does. And a version of this, we have been informed by a little birdie, is currently in process. Uh, Al alluded to it a little bit in his interview with Podcast UGC, but it's still a work in progress. Coming into us from Anonymous, they write, Plus one! Wow, Anonymous is getting a little wordy here. Easy there, Anonymous. Write a novel. Jeez. All right, and we want to thank new followers on Twitter, Star2367Trek, Tigress Wonder, Jay Hines, Jay Pezzino, at Basilisk, Blackfire TWB, James Drox, and the Liz Ear. She's actually one of the Andorian girls that I met at the Star Trek New Jersey convention. Awesome people, talented in terms of their cosplay and makeup. T H E L L I Z H I R. And we got a comment via Twitter from at J Matt Miracle. At STO Priority One said it best, we either stay silver or go lifetime. Not much value in monthly. Matt Miracle is talking about the subs. Well, I'm going to go ahead and buck the conventional wisdom just a bit here, and I'm going to say that there might be value in subbing once and dropping it, because Cryptic's policy is that if you sub once, you get the gold benefits. Now, the recurring benefits like the monthly stipend, if you drop your subscription, you don't get those, but the extra slots, the foundry access, all that stuff. If you pay one time, you get to keep that. So there may be value in subscribing one time and dropping it. But Lifetime, I'm a Lifetime member. I've recouped my investment several times over as far as I'm concerned. The general premise is right. You pick one or pick the other or sub once and quit. Don't pay a monthly sub. There's not a lot of value in there. Lifetime, I like it. Silver, cryptic, treats for silver players very well. So either one of those is the way to go. We want to thank Ben Weiss again for submitting some amazing Trek It Out topics for this episode of Priority One. Got to talk about beer. How awesome is that? So thank you very much for the topic. Thanks for bringing that to our attention. 
And please keep it coming. If something like that shows up again, send it our way to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. We love hearing your feedback. You can reach us on Twitter. You can reach us on Facebook and, again, via email. So thank you so very much to our listeners for your feedback. And coming to us via subspace radio frequencies, because subspace is radio at the same time, is James Lee. James, can you hear us? Bienvenidos. And hello, boys and girls. I can't believe that, that we're, we're, we're contacting you from such far distances. Thank you for joining us on the end of the show. Well, it's how I roll, you see. I like to let you two do all the heavy lifting and then swoop in at the last minute and give a couple finger gun bang bangs, how you doing, kids, and then wrap out. I like to think of you as carrying a large broom and cleaning up after me and Elijah. That's how I prefer to think of it. Great, Tony. Thanks. I come in a smooth cat and you make me the janitor. <laughs> Episode 126, boys and girls. Thank you very much. Podcast done live on trekradio.net without me, of course. But, you know, hey, here I am at the end. But remember, we are on the air every Thursday night at 8.30 Eastern, 5.30 Pacific. We are getting some amazing feedback and we love our live audience. So thanks for listening in, guys. We love you. Don't forget, Captains, the Priority One Network is expanding, and we're in need of video help if you have any lying around. If you feel like you're the guy or the gal for the job and you have an extra pile of video help in your home, send us a sample of your work to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. We are looking for your suggestions and ideas for our Trek It Out segment, field notes, and general show improvements and additions. You can submit your ideas and questions via our online form on the Priority One website or reach us via email to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. We're also on Facebook or Twitter. Have you ever wanted to smash your face with a book? Well, head on over to Facebook.com. And if you turn to the page that says Priority One Podcast, you can say, ouch, that really hurt. Or you can find us on Twitter and you can tweet all day long at Still Priority One and let us know how much you can tweet. Ladies and gentlemen, it's that time again. It's time when I ad-lib a little something here about you being generous to us so we can work in Las Vegas. I know it sounds weird that we want you to give us money to work in the recreational capital of America. But, but hang with me here. Hang with me just a second. We want you, you, our loved, beloved listeners, to give us just a little something. Chip in a buck. And if you can't chip in a buck, just give us a shout. Go over to the website, www.partyonepodcast.com, and leave us a message and say, I would like to give you a buck, but I'm not gonna. And this is a message to tell you, no, you can't have my dollar. We will read all of these messages and know that we are not getting a dollar from you because you left a comment saying you're not giving us a dollar. But, but do one or the other. Leave us a dollar. Or leave us a comment saying, stop asking me for a dollar. That way we'll know to stop asking you for the dollar and to ask other people for it. Just take a moment. Or take a dollar. Or take both. And head over to PriorityOnePodcast.com. If you've heard Elijah and Tony tonight, you know how sad and pathetic they are. For less than a cup of coffee a day, you could help sponsor Keep Them in Work in Las Vegas. It's sad, it's pathetic, and I do my best to carry them along. We're talking 25 cents a day, people. Less than the price of a postage stamp. Donate today. Help me help them. 
I do want to thank everybody who has donated already. Those funds are already helping to build that budget. And thank you so very much for your contributions. You know who you are, and thank you so very much. We would like to thank the entire team over at PriorityOnePodcast.com, our production assistant and art director, Alex Calderwood, our audio engineers, Lennon Rich and Justin Lowmaster, and the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Special thanks to our sponsor, Sayulita.com, our syndication partners, Subspace Radio, Trek Radio, and, of course, the Trek Radio live crew, and, of course, the Stowe community. Without you, none of this would be possible. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage. Also review your picks. <sighs> Peter Piper picked a pack of pickled. You peppers. can do Peter this. Peter Piper picked a pack of pickled peppers. <laughs> this is she something. Sells this is seashells not, by the this seashore. Is she sells seashells by the seashore. This is nothing. This I is can't something. Speak this today. is nothing. This is something. This is nothing. This is nothing. This is something. This is something. This is nothing. This is something. something. <laughs> Peas and carrots. And but. Okay, let's get this straight. However, here. we and, do. Uh, and is a yeah, con- right. and, but they're both conjunction. Okay, you're right. And is you're right. You're right. We got to think. And is different than but. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Can't even speak to. I can't. I can't. I give up. You know what? We're gonna make. You know what, Tony? You do the show yourself tonight. Uh, I'll pretend to be you. I'll do my Elijah voice the whole time, and I'll talk to myself. Pretend to be you. I'm interested. What's your Elijah voice? Please give. Tell me what your Elijah voice is. I will just put on the, my best Ricardo Montalban accent and pretend to be Khan himself. As I as as I as I go through the evening, I will. Uh, no, you know you don't, you don't feel you, the mantle you, you task me. Cue quantum leap music. <laughs> He's gonna put things right that once went wrong. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Well, there we have it, kids. Captains, we want to remind you here at Priority One: drink responsibly and Actually, frequently. For, uh, uh, and frequently, <laughs> you know, especially if you're oh, crowd, fighting the um, yeah, those, crowd control, those fear, those feels, fear, fear, feels. Oh, I can't speak. <laughs> I, I, just, I just, I quit, bro. Yeah. I quit. I quit. Especially if you're fighting, especially if you're fighting those spheres, 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 spheres. Oh my god, I minimized my screen. Okay, sorry. Don't okay. do that, Tony. Uh, you gotta check. <laughs> Excuse me as I break my phone. <laughs> you know, one day I'm going to have the cops called because I have the window open and I'm saying, I'm screaming, I'm going to rip out the hots. <laughs> and somebody, somebody's going to call the cops one day. Somebody's, I'm going to get the cops one day. Just wait, maybe, maybe Milk should, uh, should suddenly acquire some sort of British accent so everybody knows that you're doing theater. Theater. Yeah, theater. Yeah. 
lastly, on the Stowe website, we've got April's Ask Crypt... Quiptic, ask Quiptic. Ask Quiptic. Uh, we quiet. Ask Quiptic. Why just waiting that last ask Quiptic now? We're waiting the ask Quiptic. Okay. On April 26th, the Stowe team delivers answers to player submitted questions in April's Ask. <laughs> <sighs> Maybe you should have coffee before the show, Elijah. I think you really should. You should do that. My brother was Bubba Gump Shrimp. <laughs>